All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to just be here, to have the chance to swim in your word, to submit to you, to hear what you have to say to us through your spirit. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity of having this church and of beholding your word. And we just ask, Father, for your guidance. Help us see what your message is for us tonight. Father, we also ask for special prayers for those who are ill in our congregation. We ask that you help them and encourage them. And Father, most of all, we are grateful and thankful for your Son who made all this possible so that we don't have to earn our own way. We don't have to rely on ourselves or fear the things in the world, but we fear you and you alone, Father, and we honor you and respect you for what you've done for us through your Son. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Okay, bear with me. I am uh, battling a cold, so hopefully I'll be just fine, but if I have to take a little break, it might happen. So, healthy versus unhealthy fear. This is a spinoff from Sunday's close of our, our series on the deceitfulness of sin. And it is interesting the way the Spirit ended the series with this topic. And it makes sense because unhealthy fear of the things in this world, that's one of the things that leads us to be enslaved to our sin nature. Fear is one of the main weapons of Satan to get us to be enslaved to our sin nature, to get us to not walk forward in God's will for us. So keep that in mind as we go through this because that's going to be a recurring theme. Fear from Satan, from his suggestions, from the sin nature, keeps us from going forward in God's will for us. As came out on Sunday, Satan and the kingdom of darkness want to disturb our peace. Is there any better way to disturb our peace than through fear? Think about it for a minute. If, if you had no fear, if we had no fear ever, kind of like the faith of a child, you know, a child doesn't know any better and just willing to run off a cliff. If we had no fear, think about what we would do for the kingdom of God. If we didn't put limits on ourselves because of what the world tells us is, you know, safe, etc. Just something to ponder because... Satan gets us more often than we'd like to think with fear. As our pastor advised us on Sunday, avoid Satan's schemes by having some foresight in your own life. So in other words, we ought to look ahead a little bit. Sometimes we don't pay attention. We're not willing to look ahead in our own lives and say, what am I doing wrong here? Or, or what are these signs of that I've seen a hundred times in my life? What are these signs of what's coming? And we should nip it in the bud when we see those signs that we're all too familiar with many times. So this was pastor's encouragement on Sunday. We need to recognize the pitfalls and the temptations in our lives even before they materialize into real threats to our peace. And this includes fear. 
or the things that we give into. Let's stop being the victims that we're no longer meant to be. We weren't designed to be victims the way people in the world are victims of fear, for example. We're now in Christ, and we're not meant to be victims to the deceptions of sin. So the point is, as on the board, this might take some forethought or some uh, lifestyle change, a decision to change something to get out of the ruts that we always fall into. We know what we always fall into. We even know the signs before they come, before the thing comes that we always fall into. So we need to, like, you know, maybe we need to man up. And it's ironic there's all ladies here in the audience tonight. But maybe we need to man up. And we know what that expression means, to make a decision to not wimp out again or to fall into that um, and allow it to happen. Faith. Stepping out in faith, right? Not giving in. On Sunday, we received some timely encouragement, and it was for me as well. It was perfectly timed. I'm very thankful to the Spirit's uh, gift for that on Sunday. So let's read a passage again that encourages us to not be overwhelmed by life. Turn again to Romans seven, fourteen. <clears throat> Romans 7:14 Timely encouragement. Don't you love it when, you know, you're praying about something the night before or that very morning and then you come to church and there it is for you, right? It's like exactly what you need to hear. Romans 7:14 For we know that the law is spiritual but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. So again, we know life is going to be a struggle in the flesh. And thank God he understands our weaknesses and our weakness in general. So we mustn't be overwhelmed as we go forward walking by faith. 
And this even includes fear of failure, if we're going to go back to fear. We mustn't fear failure, even fearing our own falling on our face and to the point where we don't get up again. You know, the righteous man falls seven times a day, but he gets back up. Sounds like Paul to me in this chapter. It also sounds like David in the Old Testament. What was one thing that these two men had in common? Their desires were for God. Their heart was for God and God's will, despite the fact that they fell on a regular basis. Both men. What differentiates them? What, what made them men of God was that they had God's desires at the, you know, in their heart at all times. I don't even know how to say it. But that was their overall motivation, despite the fact that they fell flat on their faces at times. So that should be an encouragement for us. It's called the battle of life. But the believer walks by faith one day at a time and doesn't quit. So we must accept that we all have a long way to go and that this life isn't going to go perfectly, not until we get to heaven. And we must fall back on our gracious and patient God and that he has everything under control. He knew all these things. He knew our weakness. He knew how we'd fail. And he also knew that he would empower us to keep going forward by faith. So at the same time, we were also warned on Sunday, this does not mean we ought to throw caution to the wind and act like a fool. Of course not. But that's what a young, younger believer will do, or maybe even an arrogant older believer will do. We mustn't just act like a fool and say, ah, God's got it under control anyway, so I'm going to basically do what I want and just come back to him on my knees, knowing and planning things ahead of time that we know are against God. That is just utter foolishness, and there are consequences to that. We were told to synthesize on Sunday, Matthew 4, 7 in the message. Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy, Don't you dare, dare test the Lord your God. And combine that with Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. It just is what it is. And God knows our hearts. Fall back on that. God knows our hearts. This is where we can declare it's healthy and right to fear the Lord our God. And as we know from Holy Scripture, God doesn't bear the rod for nothing. So there's a healthy fear mentioned in the Bible, which we should obey. And there's also a totally unhealthy fear, which we mustn't fall into. So we might say it this way, healthy versus unhealthy fear. There's a good, righteous fear to behold in the Bible, and there is a dangerous, unrighteous fear that we must deny. We must deny by faith. Let me put it this way regarding the unrighteous fear that we are tempted to give into. By faith, we can stare ungodly fear in the face and even rebuke it. Now just, just think about that for a minute. What, what do I mean by that? Like even rebuke it. When we recognize that Satan is using fear as a tactic against us, especially 
when we're about to go forward in something for God, especially when God shows us something that we think is from him and he wants us to walk in it. And then what does Satan do? He puts something or someone right in front of you to scare you, to intimidate you. That's what bullies do. They intimidate. So what does he do? He puts a person or a thing or a loss right in your path to make you fear going forward in God's will for your life. And that's what I mean when I was saying we have to stare it in the face and even rebuke it, even call it out and say, Satan, I know this is from you. I'm going to trust God and walk forward in faith in this one. Say whatever you need to to him if you get my drift. But literally, you might have to call it out and rebuke it out loud even to say, I'm not falling for this trick. Oh, evil one. It really is a battle. You know, it's a spiritual battle, right? It's a battle in our minds. Um, Satan will pl- try to play tricks in our, in our mind, get in our head. And we might need to literally come out and uh, rebuke it and call it out rather than letting it play with our, our soul, so to speak, and us dabble with the possibility of falling for it. I hope that makes sense, but... Again, on the board, there's two kinds of fear. There's a a very good righteous one in the Bible to behold, and there's a very dangerous unrighteous one that we mustn't allow to penetrate into our soul. And God's love, in His love, there's no fear, as we've seen recently. So fall back on His love. Go back, you know, go grab onto His robe. Fall back on His love when you're tempted to fear. Because if we're in His love... Fear can't get the best of us. It's only when we drop his hand that fear can get the best of us. So, first of all, the Bible calls fear of the Lord a very good and healthy thing, as we know by now. As Jesus said, if you're going to fear anyone, let it not be man, but the one who truly has control of your eternal destiny. Why would we fear anybody or anything other than the one that could possibly affect our eternal destiny. So that's a baseline for fear of God. Okay, For example, unbelievers need to know that God possesses this power and authority to cast people into hell. He really does. The ironic thing is, if you fear God, in other words, if you repent, then you have nothing to fear anymore. So the message would be, On the board, fear God, not man. True, healthy fear of God leads to faith in Christ as one's Lord and Savior, resulting in salvation from a God who extends His never-ending mercy towards those who repent and believe. We saw Proverbs 14, 26, and 27, and we're going to turn to Luke 12, 4 through 7. In fact, why don't you turn there right now? <clears throat> Luke 12, verse 4. We ought to fear God and not man. Pretty simple. And the ironic thing is, when we actually do truly fear God, that leads to faith in Christ. And that leads to no more fear of things like death, for example. We're now in his hands. We're now under his never-ending mercy. 
Look at Luke 12, 4. This is what Jesus said. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. In other words, don't fear man. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So it's an interesting turn, turn of events for the one who rightly fears God and believes in Christ. Again on the board, fear God, not man. True, healthy fear of God leads to faith in Christ as one's Lord and Savior, resulting in salvation from a God who extends his never-ending mercy towards those who repent and believe. That's why we saw what we saw in Proverbs 14. So go to Proverbs 14, 26 again. <clears throat> Proverbs 14, 26. And on the surface, a passage like this does not make sense. It only makes sense in light of what we just saw from Jesus, really. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. They seem like opposites. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. In other words, we should allow the proper, healthy fear of the Lord to keep us away from sin, which leads to death. That's why it says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. So just to use an analogy, just like a child rightly fears his loving yet righteous father. So we should have that attitude towards our God and Father. He is good. He is loving. He's perfect. He loves us and has never-ending mercy towards those who believe but he will also do the right thing like a good father will do. And he knows when to act in mercy and he knows when he needs to execute discipline towards us in grace. And we should, we should fully believe in our hearts that our father is not afraid to kick our butt to help save us from self-destruction. If he's that good, and he is, if he's perfect, and he is, why, how could he not give us some severe discipline if needed to help save us from self-destruction? And that's what sin is. Sin is self-destruction. Sin is us destroying ourselves in one way or another, in all different ways. And God's like, I'm not going to let you do that, son. You don't realize the repercussions of this thing. You don't realize the death it's going to lead to in, your, in this area of your life. So in other words, fear me in verse 27 of Proverbs 14. Fear me. If you fear me rightly, that's a fountain of life to you because it's going to avoid the snares of death. 
It's going to avoid the repercussions of sin. And you should fear my hand, says God. Because it's going to be painful. Because I love you. So again, there's a huge difference between the unhealthy fears that Satan promotes and healthy fear of the Lord as our God and Father. Turn to Revelation 15, verse 3. Revelation 15, 3. It is wise to fear the Lord. Very wise. Revelation 15, 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. If you think about it, Satan tries to get us to buy a counterfeit fear. Just think about this for a minute. Satan tries to get us to buy a counterfeit fear from or as opposed to the real good fear, which is fear for the Lord. Satan says, no, 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 no. Don't fear the Lord. Instead, fear me. Look at me. Look this way, like a distraction. Someone throwing up his hands in the air. Look at me. Look at my power. Look at my weapons. Look at my strength. I'm the one you should fear. It's kind of like, you know, the whole thing in Isaiah 14 where Satan, you know, says, I will be like the Most High. Don't fear God. Fear me. Look over here. I'm way bigger than you, way stronger than you, way smarter than you, way more evil than you. And he tries to intimidate us so that we don't go forward in the will of God. So really, any other fear other than fear for the Lord, if you think about it, is a counterfeit fear. One of Satan's strategies, one of his greatest strategies, is to get us to fear life, to fear what's to come. That way we don't properly fear the Lord and step out by faith to do God's will. Make that connection. Make that connection. Satan does not want us to bring glory to God, right? He doesn't want us to bring glory to God. So guess what? When you get an opportunity in your life that is to do that very thing, he steps it up a notch. He's going to put something in your face to scare you, to just make you stop in your tracks. You'll be like, oh, no, maybe I don't want to go forward in that area. It's going to cost me something. Or I think it's going to cost me something. It's a fear tactic. It may or may not, but God's will be done, right? But make this connection on the board Again, one of great, uh, Satan's greatest strategies is to get us to fear life, to fear what's to come, to fear what might happen to us. If I go forward in this area, what might happen to all the security I have in the earthly sense? What might happen to my health? What might happen to blah, 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 blah? He wants you to entertain all those thoughts instead of just don't worry about your own life. God's got you. Go do the will of God. If you're convinced something's the will of God for your life, be ready for a, a, a 
tactic, a fear tactic coming at you. He doesn't want us to do the will of God, so he's going he's gonna to attack. Especially when we're weak, as we're going to see in a minute. What is his tactic? His tactic is distraction. Isn't that what we've heard in this series on, on sin? Let me just distract them somehow. Somehow. Again, the guy waving his eyes, arms up in the air, right? Look over here. Don't look over there at the cross. Look over here. Distract. Anything to distract. Pull you away from going forward by faith. He wants to thwart the will of God for our lives. He wants to ruin like the eternal destiny God's given you to walk in. He wants to just pull you away from that. And he successfully does it a lot, a lot more than we probably realize. And that's why we have, thank God, like a long life, so to speak. Or the, on average, we have a long life in the sense that we can go through these peaks and valleys. We can fail, 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 and God slowly matures us. And then we still bring glory to God in the end, even despite all these failures, even all these uh, times we give in to fear. But let's not like fall for his tactics anymore. What better way than to cast lies at us and make us fear things like failure, destitution, even physical violence, even death? What better way to get us to not go forward in the will of God than to get us to fear these things that we hold on to a little bit too dearly? So we mustn't fall for his distractions. Remember, Jesus said, not a hair of our head falls to the ground without our God knowing it. Is that true? So if that's true, how can we give in to the unhealthy fears of Satan that he promotes? The healthiness of fear depends on the object alone. The healthiness of fear, or in other words, whether fear is healthy or not, depends on the object of the fear. If it's God, it's healthy. If it's anything else, it's unhealthy, and it's from evil. It's not what we're meant to walk in. Satan's counterfeits, uh, Satan counterfeits fear by placing it in the wrong direction or on the wrong object. He gets us to look at the boogeyman, for example, again. Whatever that is to you. For example, look at man. Look at what man can do to you. Psalm 56.4 In God, whose word I praise, in God I put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? I believe it was David that wrote this psalm. And it makes me think of him facing Goliath. Is there any greater physical manifestation of fear than what he faced in a nine and a half foot giant? I can't imagine one in my own head even. A physical manifestation of fear face to face. In that moment, he said this, I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm not going to be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And this wasn't even only man. It was probably part angel, Goliath, or at least the Nephilim, right? So anyway, this is an attitude. Satan wants you to get your eyes on the wrong thing. Get your eyes on that man that could defeat you, that is better than you, stronger than you, smarter than you, richer than you and intimidate you because of what he and his power might be able to do to you. 
God is the only one worth fearing, and he has our back. He has us in the palm of his hand. Satan is... Mm, I want to say something, but I can't. But he's so evil. He's so pure evil. No scruples. He'll do whatever he can to get us to live in fear. But God actually has good plans for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, again in the Amplified Classic. For I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil, to give you hope in your final outcome. I mean, think about Job. When he was in the middle of his testing, talk about what looked like a no-hope situation. Right? No hope to get out of this when you lose everything and you're sick the way he was sick. God had plans for him. Even after that horrible trial, God had plans of prosperity for him. If your plan is to die as a martyr, God has tremendous plans of prosperity for you. Way beyond what you could even ask or, or hope for. So if we have that kind of confidence in God, that we're in his hands in this way, and the, that he has never-ending mercy to those who believe, we, we should never give in to fear. We will. We will fail. But let's call out Satan to his face. Let's not, like, you know, skirt the issue. It's him who's tempting us to fear whenever that happens. As the Spirit gave us on Sunday, think about the only true fear that we ought to have, which is the fear of God. Think about it this way. God has never failed. And this is a, a neat perspective, a neat way to look at it, the fear of God. Why should we fear God? This is the reason anyone and everyone should fear God. God has never failed. If someone is opposed to our holy God of the universe, deep down they know they're in trouble because of this. If someone is for our God, he can have the same great confidence that he's in good hands. Because he never fails. That is what Pastor called on Sunday the essence of the fear of the Lord. That there on the board. God has never failed. If there's something to fear, that's it. It's directly related to God's integrity. That he always does what he says he's going to do. He never fails at that. If you're on his side, you've got nothing to fear anymore. Right? Because you've properly come to fear in the Lord. And we should properly walk in that fear too. Every day of our lives. Because he's a good, good father. But he does what he says he's going to do. All the time. As a child, we should embrace that. And walk in that fear. It's that power and ability that God has that we rightly fear. And we also thank God that he does the right thing all the time. Since God has never failed, we ought to fear and be in awe of his will. And that's what you see in Revelation. We read this on Sunday. Go again to Revelation 1, verse 10. Since God has never failed, we ought to fear and be in awe of his will. That's what John was, and John had a visual manifestation of 
the resurrected Lord right in front of them. Go to Revelation 1.10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. Notice that. Do not be afraid. In other words, don't be afraid. You're with me. You're one of mine. When we fear the Lord properly, repentantly, we have nothing to fear. So he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Don't underestimate that last statement right there. The one who loved us, the one who saved us, holds the keys. Holds the keys of death. So there's no more fear for believers. And this is not like a movie where the hero gets the keys knocked out of his hand and like in slow motion you see the keys going down the storm drain. You know what I mean? This isn't That can't happen with God. Satan can't ever do that to the true hero, the one who's perfect, the one who holds the keys and his, his grip can't be broken in any way. So Satan can dream all he wants. But our God is all-powerful, and if he holds the keys, he holds the keys to death and Hades. And if he has never-ending mercy towards those who believe, he has never-ending mercy towards those who believe. So how can we fear anything in this world? We're really foolish to do it. Really, really foolish. And we're just giving into the flesh when we do it. We will all fail, but get the message of the Spirit this evening. He holds the keys. He says, do not be afraid. Even though we can't help it at the sight of him. John couldn't help it at the sight of him. At the thought of his perfect will always being accomplished, we can't help but be, have fear for God, a healthy fear of God. And yet Jesus says, do not be afraid. Remember, our Lord reassured us He's preparing a house for each of us in heaven. And how did he start off that passage? He basically started off by saying, do not fear. That's going to be the temptation. Fear and doubt that I do have a place for you. Fear and doubt that I don't hold the keys, that I might drop them. That's the temptation of the flesh. 
Turn to John 14, verse 1. John 14, 1. I think the Lord, <laughs> He knows that we can't help but fear Him, rightly, if we know who He is. And yet He says, don't be afraid. John 14, 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. Sounds like I have the keys to death and Hades, doesn't it? But he starts it off, do not let your heart be troubled. He knows that's the temptation of the flesh and the attacks of Satan upon us. So this topic of fear has been brought up by the Spirit to warn us to not fall in line with the world in the area of fear. The things that the world has trained us to fear for many, many years. Don't fall in line with that anymore. Listen, we are so brainwashed by the world. We have been since childhood that we don't even realize the things that we are giving into with this thing called fear. The Spirit's saying, don't fall in line with that anymore. One of the hallmarks of today's society, as came out on Sunday, is a lack of healthy fear for God. So on the board, lack of healthy fear. Our society is becoming bolder and bolder against the Lord. And I love this point. It's going to continue to do so until the holy, sovereign God of the universe decides to respond however and whenever that might be. It's supposed to be that way as we read the scriptures. We know that's going to happen. But we are warned to not be a part of it. We are warned to not fall for it. To be on guard for things like familiarity and disrespect towards the Lord. And that might sound crazy to some of you who are listening right now. You, you say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. You know, I'm a believer. I'm following God. I'm sticking to His word. I would never, dot, dot, dot. I would never get familiar with the Lord or disrespect Him or not have proper fear for Him. But we must be on guard for the subtle arrogances that pop up in our hearts, that are tossed at us, those fiery darts, those temptations, tossed at us from the world to just doubt or just disrespect or just not fear God as much as is right. You see, again, Satan doesn't come at you and say, just stop fearing God altogether. He comes at you and said, do you really have to fear God that much? And he'll use a friend or a lover to do it, to ask you in a nice way. Do you really have to fear God that much? Hmm. Batting eyelashes. Satan has no scruples. And remember too, Satan flanks us. He doesn't usually come straight at us. He flanks us. He comes around the side, comes around the back. And he'll surprise us. And he'll slowly seduce us into challenging the authority of God when we're at our weakest moments. 
Isn't that when the test is true? I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy to come to Bible class when you're feeling good, when your head's on straight, when things are going well in your life, finances are okay, nobody's really attacking you. It's pretty easy to stay the course. How about when you're weak? How about when you're tired and hungry, like Jesus was in the desert in Matthew chapter 4? That's when the real tests come and the temptations to fear the things that we shouldn't fear. That's when it's a hard test, right? When you're hangry, isn't that the worst? Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm joking around, but it's true. That's when you're weak and Satan knows it. And he, and he creeps in like the slimy serpent that he is and says, ah, you shouldn't go forward in the will of God in that area. You're going to be in pain if you do. And you're going to lose this and you're going to lose that if you do. And he does that right when you're down at your weakest moment. And that's where you have to, quote unquote, stare fear in the face and rebuke it. Rebuke him. Be like, bleep you, you know, whatever you got to do. Did I say anything wrong? You know what I'm saying. You've got to, you've got to, ha- I, this is my own conviction, but you've got to have that attitude where you confront it. Or if you don't confront it, you're going to let it seep in, seep in your pores, so to speak. So these are, these are the horrors in Romans 1 that the Spirit's warning us about. Go to Romans 1.18. Romans 1 is like a horror show of the human heart and the human life without God. At least the second half. <clears throat> Romans 1.18. And the Spirit's say, saying, don't even participate in this. Like, don't even fall for a little bit of this. You know, don't let it seep in to your life at all. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, 
malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is the foolishness of man. This is a description of why man should fear God, because these things that he says will happen will happen and do happen. But foolishness and arrogance just uh, makes people stupid. And Satan, uh, the Spirit's saying, don't become stupid, at least a little bit. Don't fall for these patterns that you just read about, that the world is going to harp on you to join the crowd, even just a little bit. As came out on Sunday, there's a massive wave in our country of disrespect and lack of fear for God. And the warning is to not fall for it. Remember, that there's a reason it's called falling. You know, it's not something you plan. Sometimes it happens. You stumble and you fall. So don't think it can't happen to you. Let's be humble and remember that. As it says in Genesis, sin is crouching at the door. I just picture like a, a, a lion or a panther crouching at the door. Like, what does that mean? It means it's ready to pounce. It means at any moment, maybe when you're at your weakest, it's going to pounce and try to dominate you. And that's the repetitive warning. And in this case, fear is the repetitive warning. We were also challenged on Sunday. Do you keep returning to your own vomit in some area of your life? Do you ignore the good guidance of the word and willingly continue in disobedience in some area of your life? If that's true about a part of your life, you're falling for something. You've fallen for a lie. And listen, we all have to honestly, humbly examine ourselves to see if what pastor brought up on Sunday is happening in our lives. Because our pastor brought it up about this congregation for some reason, for some things he sees in some of us. So if we're wise, we would humbly examine ourselves and see if we're in that boat. We might be disobeying the word or deceiving ourselves in some area. Proverbs 26.11 on the board. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Are you a fool in part of your life who is repeating his folly? I can raise my hand on that if I'm honest. Sometimes we don't see it though. Like are we willing to look at it? Are we willing to ask him to show us what we're not seeing right now, that maybe we are repetitively falling in. Something else the Spirit brought up on Sunday should be to our alarm, at least to our personal consideration on the board. We've been given everything, but we receive so little. That's a scary statement. That's kind of an indictment on all of us, really. We've been given everything. That's what the Bible does tell us. But we receive so little. We really do. Go to 1 Corinthians 1, 4. <clears throat> Let's see this passage again. 
that states how much we've been given. But how much do we receive by faith? How much do we embrace as part of our mindset and our lives? And how much do we deny? 1 Corinthians 1.4 I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we've been given everything, but we receive so little. We live in, by faith, so little. It reminded me of Ephesians 1.3 on the board. In the New Living Translation, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. It says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing already. So as we've heard the t terminology before, we're the ones that get in the way. But it's there. He's within us. As Pastor mentioned on Sunday, God graces us out and we disrespect His will for us. Let's face it, we often don't rightly fear the Lord. Instead, we allow Satan to use ungodly fears to take our eyes off the Lord, the one we should fear. Again, like a counterfeit fear. This is, again, a point for personal consideration. If we're honest, we all do this to God at some times to some degree because nobody perfectly fears God all the time. If anyone's going to claim that, you're arrogant. <laughs> so if we don't perfectly fear God all the time, that means we don't fear Him properly all the time, and we are failing in that area. We ultimately choose to do so much damage to ourselves. We choose disobedience in certain areas, even when God has spoken to us. And this is something we'll close with tonight that came up on Sunday as well that we ask God for help and guidance. And when He answers us, we say, can you give me a few more options? I don't really like what you just said to me. Can, is there another way out of this? Is there an easier alternative? On the board, this is when we are tested to humbly fear the Lord. If you know God has answered your prayer, and you know it's from Him, however He might reveal that to you, then be humble and wise and accept His answer. I mean, this takes true humility. This takes like a little child saying to their parent, yes, Dad, you know, okay, whatever you said, I'm going to go do it right now. That takes real humility, right? You could do the fake humility and run the other direction if you want to, but you're going to be disciplined for it. 
and God knows best. So here we are. He answers our prayers, and then we say, I don't like that answer. Is there another option? You know? Or we ignore it, and we rationalize it away into the corner. Right? We, we pretend we didn't hear the answer. So that, that's where prayer and our, our conscience comes in, listening to our conscience. If you don't, there are repercussions because God is who He is, and He never fails. So anyway, again on the board, humbly fear the Lord. If you know God has answered your prayer and you know it's from Him, however He might have revealed that to you, it's very personal. As you know, it can be in different ways. But if you know it's from Him, then be humble and wise and accept His answer. Obey. He's the Lord God Almighty and He has spoken in your life. Obey. Don't be a fool and rationalize another answer to your liking. Because one day soon, we're all going to meet Him face to face. And then what will you say about the thing that you denied and you knew was from Him? And yet, He's the God of love. So even more so, shouldn't we fear Him and respect Him even more so? Because He's the God of love, even though He's the God that never fails. He's the God of love and never-ending mercy. I mean, again, it's a point for personal consideration, personal prayer. We should have even more fear slash respect slash offer him because he's all-powerful and yet he's never-ending mercy. So in closing, let us not ever fear the things in this world. I mean, in light of this message, in light of the Spirit's emphasis, in light of counterfeit fears, knowing Satan just wants to get our eyes off of fearing God and put our fear on something else, namely the boogeyman, whatever that is for you, whatever that horror horrible thing is in your soul that you fear the most even. He wants to get your eyes on that. Counterfeit. Don't fear the things in the world. He has us in the palm of his hand. And in 1 John 4.18, part A, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. If we choose to exist in his sphere of love, if we believe the things he says about us, as his children. There's no room for fear. And, and the boogeyman can jump in front of your face all he wants. Goliath can be in front of your face all he wants. But you'll be like David, saying, what can mere man do to me? I trust in my God. He's perfect. He never fails. What can mere man do to me? So the message was, focus on love and be delivered. That's been a key point for like five lessons now, if you think back. Focus on love and be delivered. Stop giving in to the lies that are just total deception, dragging us down from the life we're meant to live. All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your guidance, your faithful spirit coming to us and weeding these things out for us. We ask, ask, Father, that you help us all humbly, personally consider these things before you, that we may grow 
in your grace and knowledge, and then we, we, we may live a life of love and of fear for you alone and no one else. We ask that you do th these things for us as you sanctify us. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.